Hey friends, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. You know, for a couple of weeks, we've been talking about women in ministry and I want to continue that line of thought today before we leap into it. Just a couple of things. I want to encourage you who listen regularly and, um, you know, you believe in what, what I'm doing. Even if you disagree, you believe in at least the approach I'm taking to rightly divide the word of God to use scripture as the basis for diagnosing what we say we believe what we practice, what we proclaim to other people. Um, and if you believe that the approach for that is to go to the word of God as the foundation for our truth, rather than, uh, the traditions of men or denominational standards, or just the commonly embraced views of the 21st century church. If you believe that, um, you know, the best thing to do is go to the word of God. That means you probably are being helped at times by Mavericks and misfits. And I want to encourage you to help me reach more people. And you do that by rating and reviewing Mavericks and Misfits wherever you listen to podcasts. It it literally takes about three or four minutes of your time and it enlarges our digital footprint, allows us to reach more people. And it's really the only thing I ask you to do in your way of expressing gratitude or um, valuing, you know, what we're doing here. And so I would encourage you to do that at the end of the podcast today. You might, you might want to listen to what I have to teach before you give that rate and review, because you might end up, if you disagree with this thread that I've been doing on women in ministry, you might say, I don't know if I want to give Jeff a good review, but uh, that's fine. We, we, you don't even have to give a good one, <laughs> to be honest with you. If you just say, hey, I love what Jeff teaches most of the time, but this stuff on women is driving me batty. Um, we'll take that too. You know, we believe in freedom and, uh, we want you to be free in what you express. And, uh, you know, I would just say this, as I have taught for, this will be the third podcast in a row. And then I did an earlier introduction several weeks ago. Um, if, if you disagree with what I'm teaching, then it's incumbent upon you to prove the scriptures wrong, or at least prove me wrong in how you believe I'm applying them. And so if you did not listen to the last two podcasts and you're picking up on this one, you're selling yourself short because the framework for this one, and this is the big one, this is First Timothy 2, 11 and 12, which is the primary verses that are used in this, um, I believe, misguided belief system that says women cannot preach, they cannot teach, and they cannot lead in the church. And if it were not for these two verses, there would be either no people who believe that or much, much fewer people that believe that women are restricted from speaking ministries or leadership ministries in the church. And uh, so I got to tackle these verses today in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. And this is going to be the most technical episode of these podcasts because it is impossible to properly deal with this subject matter from first Timothy two, 11 and 12. If you just do a surface reading and whatever English translation you have, um, this is one of those passages because it is the hinge that this whole conflict swings back and forth on. We have to look at the Greek. We have to, we have to break down the original language that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write in. And I will just go ahead and tell you that on a surface reading of the English translation in almost every English translation, uh, you would come away very confused because it would seem like that Paul here is giving a universal mandate, establishing a universal prohibition that encompasses all the church for all of history. And, um, if you believe this, then you've got to wrestle through all these other scriptures that I've been sharing in these, uh, uh, previous episodes 
And what I've got to do, because it is a legitimate question by um, complementarians, those that believe that are uh, under the belief that women cannot lead, teach, or preach in the kingdom, they say, Jeff, you're going to have to explain to us what does 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 mean? Because when I read it, it seems very clear that Paul did not allow women to teach and preach. So let me read the words of the Apostle Paul as translated in the English Standard Version, which is almost always the standard, uh, always the translation I lose. Uh, I, I use, sorry, it's early. Matter of fact, let me take a sip of coffee and get my brain going here. Man, that tastes good. Um, so this is what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2.11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And then verses that follow deal with Adam and Eve. And those verses are also pertinent to this discussion, but I won't have time to deal with them today, so we'll have to circle back to them. So what do we do with these two verses? Um, this is kind of the episode that a lot of you have been waiting on because you want to see, and I've told you in previous episodes, I wasn't going to avoid this, because you don't have to, because it's actually helpful to the case of the egalitarian view that says a woman can preach. And last week's episode really, really, I believe, if I can say so myself, did a good job of establishing uh, like a major caution flag for those that just want to blow off the end of the age prophetic words that are written in scripture concerning women and their ministry of prophesying, preaching, and teaching. You, you, you got to figure that out, and I got to figure this one out. And so let me just give you uh, what I believe you find when you look at the original language in which this verse was given from, through the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul. So when you see this, this phrase in verse 12, I do not allow a woman to teach or, and then it has this exercise authority, to exercise authority over a man, but rather she is to be in quietness. The key word there is a Greek word translated exercise authority and it is the word authentine or authentine authentine it is the Greek word translated exercise authority now let me tell you what this word uh, seems to mean the problem is, is it's only used this one time in all of the New Testament so we don't have 15 other passages in the Bible that we can look at and say how is this word used this is the only time Paul actually, when he uses the word authority in many, many other places in scripture and his writings, uh, it is the word exousia, which is just what we would normally assume, uh, associate with human authority or power or position. That is not the word Paul uses here. So immediately my radar goes off and says, why would Paul here use a very obscure Greek word? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire that? And is it significant enough for me to track it down? What does it mean? What did it mean in the normal language of Paul's day? Because it was a word that was used. Um, it was even rare outside of the Bible, but it was used. We have ancient writings around the same time where this word's used. 
And from the from those that are much smarter than me, you find out that this word authentine does not simply mean having authority in the normal way. This is what it means. It means to control in a domineering manner, to exact full authority or power over something. But the key is that the nuance of the word is less about legitimate authority or expressions of authority and more about a seizing or a dominating or a rising up to unlawfully take something that doesn't belong to you, which I believe, um, and I was, I cut my teeth on the King James version of the Bible when it says in the King James version to usurp authority. That is actually a more accurate definition. Even in that word usurp, that means to overthrow, to revolt. The King James translators had it more accurately than the modern translators who simply just say exercise authority. Now, again, I want to be real clear here that this is the only use of this Greek verb in all of the New Testament. And even outside of the Bible, again, it's really, really rare. And in my opinion, this is the best way to approach this because this this issue of what women can and cannot do in the kingdom in our day, it's such an important issue and a, and a very divisive issue. You and I, we have to get molecular in our study of 1 Timothy 2 and 11 and 12. We have to study the original language. We have to study the original context in order for us to get the most precise and objective understanding of the written word of God as we possibly can when we're looking at these verses. Guys, words matter, okay? Words matter. And in this case, you know, these verses are the primary verses utilized when establishing this massive restriction on women. And guys, they compromise, uh, excuse me, they comprise more than half the body of Christ. Women are more than half the body of Christ in every generation. And so if these verses are the key verses in regulating that women cannot preach and teach, then we owe a debt of honor to our approach to the scripture and a debt of love to all women to say, we need to make sure we understand what these verses say. So we got to put in, we got to go deep and we got to put in the work. And so having done everything that we can, we can reach more firm conclusions about whether or not women can teach and lead in the kingdom of God. And so forgive the technical aspect on this, but some of you, this is what you need as you're trying to decide where you land on this issue. You need the written. It can't be emotional. It has to be based in the word of God. This is not how we feel. This is what did the God of heaven declare? What did he practice? What did he reveal in scripture? And can we take this verse, isolate it from everything else that's portrayed in scripture and say, ah, ha, ha, here you go. Well, I can't do that because that's, I don't do that with anything else in scripture. I don't just take a verse and justify my whole belief system because I read some words in one verse in one book of the Bible in one passage and ignore everything else that's said. But the earliest translations of 1 Timothy 2.12 from the Greek language, the earliest translations from the originals, they were written in Latin. They were written in Coptic, um, Arabic, Syriac. And in those translations, this word authentine was understood by those translators as a negative behavior. Authentine, to take authority, was viewed in those translations, the earliest translations, as a negative behavior, not as any kind of healthy or beneficial kind of authority. Um, the, the Latin translation uses the word dominari, which you can hear it, dominate. 
And in the that that was like going back to the second to the fourth centuries. In the third through the fifth centuries, uh, the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate translation, uses the same Latin word, and it means to dominate. The Coptic translation from the third century uses uh, a translation of authentine that means to be lord over. And so these translations were done when when Koine Greek, the the language New Testament was written in, it was still a very well known and living language. And so what Paul is saying, according to these early translations, is, is that he's prohibiting a woman, singular, by the way, not all women, we'll, we'll talk about that, but he was, in his writing, prohibiting a woman from dominating or exercising domineering control or lording over a man. Sorry, I took a sip of coffee here. Now, then, again, I mentioned to you earlier that this word authentine is not used any other time in scripture. So I can't do a Bible research survey of how this word is used. So you have to look, okay, what was the common use of the word that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to use when, when he was writing first Timothy two 11 and 12. Well, outside of scripture, the word authentine is generally used in ways that means harsh, selfish, or ruling behavior. When the verb is used in the context of the actions of people. And by the way, it's, it's seen in both male and female when that word is used in extra biblical writings. So it's a very negative, odd word. It's not like a legitimate expression of authority. It carries the connotation of harsh or selfish dominating behavior. And in the ancient Greek language writings, somewhere you know between 200 years before Christ and 200 years after, so we got a 400-year span where there was actually a massive study done, I think 30 years ago, by a, a Greek scholar. I forget the guy's name, but his, his conclusions included that in his study of the word authentine in extra-biblical writings, he, here's some of the ways he found it translation, translated. A doer of massacre, an author of crimes, perpetrators of sacrilege, perpetrators of evil, supporter of murder, slaughter, or violent actions. It was actually translated in one writing as suicide or one who murders by his own hand. So real quick, slow down for a minute. That's the Greek word that the Apostle Paul used that he never used anywhere else in Scripture by, when talking about authority. But here he's saying a woman cannot express this kind of authority. It's not that a woman can't have legitimate authority or that a woman can't um, you know, have a position of power or leadership or that she can't teach. It's not saying that. It is speaking of the spirit of an individual woman in the church of Ephesus, uh, Ephesus uh, about whom Paul was writing to Timothy. And so you've got this nuance that is not imaginary. And so what I have to say is that means something. Words mean something. And it is, I think, lazy exegesis to say, well, that doesn't mean anything. It just says what it says in the English. Well, where else do you do that in the Bible? Where else do you just ignore, especially when it's a debated, divisive, and extremely important topic, where else do you just decide you're not going to study the Greek language when there is an intricate molecular level to it that bears weight on our conclusions? And so, again, when Paul is usually talking about authority, he uses the word exousia. If you study the letters of Paul, He's referring, when he refers to authority, use of authority in the church, he uses that Greek word exousia. 
And a simple, like if you just do a simple survey as writings, there's no fewer than 14 different times where he used exousia to describe the normal meaning of authority, the, the meaning that is presumed upon in the English translation of First Timothy 2.12, where he actually didn't use the word exousia. He used the word authentine. And I could give you a bunch of, he uses that word in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, 11, 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 13, Colossians 1, 2 Thessalonians 3, Romans 6, Romans 9. I don't have time to go through all those verses, but it's there. Just, you know, do the research yourself. The normal word is exousia, and the meaning is our normal understanding of authority in the church. And wherever he used it, that made sense, but here he does not use it, yet the translators and those that look at this verse are saying, well, the authentine means the same thing as exousia, when the facts don't bear that out. So it's strange that some modern versions translate this word authentine as simply as authority. And I would say again that the KJV, which is you know not a translation I use very often, um, but it captured the true meaning when it rendered to usurp authority. And so I would say that considering the context of 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's likely that Paul was objecting to something other than the normal, legitimate use of authority within the community of believers. More coffee, hold on. So he also uses this phrase, I do not permit. Now this is very interesting because just to give you this, you ought to know the word imperative and indicative. An imperative, when we're keeping it in the context of interpreting scripture, an imperative is a command. There's actually a way that they wrote in the Greek that you could tell a, a statement was a command. If And then there is also what's called an indicative, which is not a command, but it's a statement of truth. And I'll just have you know that nowhere in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 is there an imperative. There is no command to the church for all the ages, don't let women teach. It's an indicative statement. Paul is saying, I do not permit. I do not permit a singular woman to preach. And so that, that epitrepo word, which is I translated, I do not permit or I do not allow, that word is consistently used in the Greek language in the context of giving or asking for permission. Uh, for a specified or a limited situation. So similarly, this word is used in the context of withholding permission or specified and limited. So Paul, like epitrepo, was not the word typically used when making broad and definitive statements or like Paul's writings where he's making universal injunctions. Like there are times where Paul says, you can't do this. I don't permit this. I don't allow it. But it's always using, again, a different Greek word. And epitrepo is not typically translated in that strong sense of 100% prohibition. And so he uses this, this verse here in, in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, and he only uses it just this once in 1 Timothy. It's the only time he uses it in 1 Timothy. So this is, this, to me, this is significant. Because compared with the language he uses elsewhere in this letter, where he is enforcing rules and regulations, like in 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge, command them not to be arrogant. So that's a different word. He's being definitive. He's not saying, yeah, I don't really permit the, the rich to be arrogant. He's saying, no, by no means allow them. Same book, same book of the Bible, just a different chapter, 1 Timothy 6. He doesn't use the word epitrepo. 
Paul uses this command word, um, this different one that talks about charge or command. He uses it seven times in First Timothy. And the, if you're interested, it's paragelo. And it, and it also can be translated as prescribe or instruct. And it carries a very strong sense of non-negotiable. Paul is saying in these seven times where he uses this word, I'm not allowing this. Yet when he says in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, he's saying, I don't allow or permit a woman to teach. It's a completely different word. It's that word epitrepo, which is not typically used in that strong of a language. So I know guys, I know some of y'all are probably rolling your eyes. I'm like, come on, Jeff. No, no, you come on. You come on. You put the work in. You do the study because I'm not willing just to roll my eyes and say, well, Maybe it means that maybe it doesn't. The easiest thing to do is just to tell women not to preach because that's what my English translation says right here. Let's ignore the rest of what the Bible says and let's just seize on the English translation, by the way, the modern English translation of this verse and let's just go ahead and make a decision that women cannot teach or preach or lead. And guys, that is lazy. That is like, to me, that's for, for people that take the Bible seriously, that's one of the most insulting, inconsistent things we can do. That when we find a verse in the English that supports our belief and it's inconvenient to study it out at a molecular level because it might erode our confidence or it might take away our case, that is lazy, that's hypocritical, and just basically it's patently unfair to women who this actually impacts, not to mention the fact that it may very well violate the way people look at scripture in every other place. Like a person that won't do this with first Timothy two, but will do it in other places to substantiate their case. Oh, well the Greek says this and the Hebrew says this and the verb tense is this. And I'm like, yeah, let's apply that same approach to first Timothy two. And they're like, no, it's very plain in the English. We don't have to, that's lazy. It's inconsistent. And I think it's hypocritical. So again, there's no command word. In 1 Timothy 2.12, it's just not there in the Greek. It's not a command. So Paul is not commanding all the church for all the ages not to let women teach. Uh, now, verse 11 is written as a command where it says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And, and again, I think that has an application. But verse 12 is not an actual command in the Greek. And verse 12 is the one that people always run to. So here's another thing that doesn't get a lot of press. And y'all just let me go a little bit longer today. Um, you know, this is a lot of content. It can make your brain swell. That's why I'm drinking coffee as I go. Here comes another big gulp. But there's another interesting factor in the book of First Timothy chapter 2. Paul is giving lots of stuff in First Timothy chapter 2. And then all of a sudden when he's talking about women, 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 plural, 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 plural earlier in the chapter, suddenly when he gets to 1 Timothy 2 and 11 and 12, he goes from the plural to the singular. Why did he do that? So this is another factor in interpreting is the question, why did there, is there a switch from the plural for not only the women? He went from men and women in the plural in verses 8 through 10, suddenly to the singular woman and man in verses 11 through 15. Now, let me give you an instance. So just, I'm going to put emphasis on this. I'm going to read First Timothy 2, verses 8 uh, and, and following, 8 through 11. So Paul writes, I desire then that in every place the men, plural, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that the women, plural, should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, modesty, self-control, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly attire, but what is proper for women, who profess godliness. Let a woman, 
Notice the switch. He went from women, 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 and men, plural. And then in verse 11, he, he pivots. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do per not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she, not them, not they, she is, not they are, to remain quiet. This is important. So there's no definite article for woman or man in the Greek uh, rendering of 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. It is not the woman or the man, so it makes these verses a little ambiguous. Is he talking about a representative woman for all women? Or is he talking about a specific woman in the church that Timothy needed to get a grip with? And so I'm just going to tell you this. In no way does the Greek structure of the verse prohibit the possibility that Paul is actually referring to one specific woman and one specific man in the congregation about which he's writing Timothy. So it could very well be that he is stating that he himself is not allowing that particular woman, plural to singular, to continue to teach or to show abusive displays of like controlling, domineering authority over a specific man. Why did he go from general instructions to the entire church in the plural, women, 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 men, and then all of a sudden he shifts to woman, man. Many scholars believe that Paul is speaking to Timothy because Timothy in other parts of first and second Timothy, you're going to find he had a little bit of a, what we call a recalcitrant personality. He was a little timid. Paul had to stir him up. Paul had to motivate him. And a lot of scholars think this is another case of that, that Timothy, you know who I'm talking about. You need to get that woman to stop dominating that man. You need to get her to quit abusing in a domineering way that man and exercising unjust seized authority over him. So what I would like to say is this. No matter how we're interpreting these words and contextually understand these verses, unlike what some people boldly, you know, assert, there is nothing in First Timothy two eleven through fifteen that Paul was somehow referring to women can't be ordained, women can't hold a leadership office, women can't um, have formal authority in the church. He's nowhere talking about that. It's completely, it's called eisegesis. You're reading into the scriptures something that is not there because this is not a passage on church government or structure or leadership. And I want you to recall that Paul's addressing specific behavioral issues within that particular congregation. He's not declaring church, excuse me, church government for all the ages in these verses. And by the way, here's another question. And like lots of stuff. I know this isn't like, woo, man, we are on the roller coaster of some surging revelation here. This is didactic teaching. This is where you have to get down to the foundational level before you, you build upon. Because everybody that draws a conclusion about what a woman can and cannot do in the church, there's ramifications for your conclusion. Like they're, they're, you will treat the women in the body of Christ differently in certain ways. You may limit women in the body of Christ that God didn't limit. And so you, when, when we're talking about what God does and does not permit or allow, and we got such a divisive issue and debated issue, you can't just kind of blow it off and say, well, it just says what it says in first Timothy two, 11 to 12. We have to do what we're doing here. And so this, this issue of to teach 
and to dominate. These words are, are tied together and they, they're there in that verse. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to authentine. And so these two phrases combine to form one idea. And this is commonly used in the, in the Bible. So if that's what Paul was doing here, if it's teaching, it's not two separate things, teach or show authority, like, or authentine. If it's one idea expressed in two different components, then, then you, you need to hear this. Paul's not simply prohibiting a woman then, if you interpret it that way, from teaching a man, but rather he's calling out a certain kind of teaching from a woman. Maybe Paul is just not allowing a dominating kind of teaching, kind of like in Revelation 2.20, the teaching of the Jezebel of the church at Thyatira. It, it contains a teaching and leading astray. If you go to Revelation 2.20, you're going to find that the, the, the indictment on that woman was she was teaching and leading astray. So it may be here where we're seeing teaching and authentine to dominate. It could be that the same thing, that Paul is saying that this woman cannot teach, nor can she dominate, but that she, whoever she is, He's not, he's not permitting her to do it in this domineering manner. So it, it, what I believe is true is Paul is not giving a universal injunction that a woman cannot teach ever, any woman ever, or ever have authority or ever have power. He's getting to the way that this particular woman is teaching in Ephesus, and he's saying, I don't permit that. I am not allowing her to do that. That's actually the Greek verb tense. I am not at this time allowing her to do that. <laughs> so it's uh, you know this stuff is it's thorny it's a little knotted up at times but I'm giving you every possible opportunity to consider that if your idea is just to draw a quick hard fast conclusion eh, doesn't matter what the rest of scripture says it doesn't matter what the Joel 2 outpouring indicates about women prophesying and preaching at the end of the age it doesn't matter that, you know, women in the New Testament and the Old Testament were called, established, gifted by God and shown to be on the pages of Scripture, actually leading, actually teaching, actually following and ministering with Jesus. If you if you have to ignore all of that and then you have to seize on the surface English translation of First Timothy 2, 11 and 12, you have to refuse to consider that the Greek is a very unique Greek word that actually indicates a violent use of authority, not normal authority. You have to, you have to want to be willfully dismissive of the molecular level of studying out these words in this verse. And so when, when I look at this, my conclusion is that 1 Timothy 2 and 11 and 12 is, it's highly likely it's about a woman in the church at Ephesus who needed to learn. And she needed to learn scripture. And by the way, that's why he goes into Adam and Eve. Adam was first created and Eve was de deceived. And there was a whole heresy that was beginning to take root at that time, which you can find. And there was literally a heresy that became codified later that, that they, they flipped the whole Genesis narrative and said that Adam was deceived and Eve was not. Like there was a total flip that had already begun to be taught at that time. And a lot of people believe that what Paul was doing was saying, hey, by the way, some of what she's teaching was the seed form of that Gnostic heresy that included that Adam was the deceived one. And so that's why he throws in verses 13, 14, 15 about Adam and Eve. 
But ultimately, you've got you. My belief is that you've got this woman that she was not allowed to teach or domineer over a man, and that man is singular. It's probably her husband. And if I can say it this way, Paul is saying that woman needs to chill. She needs to be in quietness. That's repeated, and it occurs in emphatic positions at the at the beginning and the end of First Timothy two eleven and twelve in the Greek. So this suggests that this woman, whoever she was, was un, she was an unsettled, noisy disturbance causing woman in the church of Ephesus. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I don't allow her to continue to do that. And nowhere else in Paul's writings is there the remote of, uh, it's just not even remotely appearing that Paul forbids edifying ministry from anyone who is saved, called and gifted by God, male or female. Nowhere else in his writings does he do that. And, you know, the social structures were not even considered when kingdom ministry was assigned. Like Paul's repeated pattern was to communicate, you have a ministry from God, so go and use it. You have a ministry from God, you're gifted for it, go and do it. That's what Paul communicates throughout his writings. And he doesn't exclude women from his general statements about ministry including leadership and teaching ministries. As a matter of fact, in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, and then again in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, he's talking about teaching, the ministry of teaching. And he doesn't anywhere prohibit women, you can't do this. These preaching, teaching, speaking ministries are only for the guys. And though 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and Romans 12, those are the passages on gifted uh, spiritual gifts and ministry. And he makes no distinction whatsoever between what a man can do and what a woman can do. And I think it's also noteworthy that the church meetings in the first century were different than everything that we do today in churches. So he did no, nowhere did Paul prohibit gifted and orderly speech anywhere in his writings. He only prohibited people that were a nuisance or that were doing unedifying speech or, you know, pro- improperly doctrinal teaching. So Paul never says, you can, you can't. This verse, so again, 1 Timothy 2.12 has nothing to say one way or another about whether competent women can be pastors or preachers or any kind of church leader or minister. He's not talking about church government. He's talking about a woman in Ephesus seizing control, dominating a man, singular. He's, it's a singular woman dominating a singular man. And so our conclusion here, we are, you know, 2000 years later and probably, um, the vast majority of that time, these two verses have been used at such a level that simply says any woman that dares to teach, dares to preach or dares to lead, no matter the fact that God supernaturally gifted her to teach, God supernaturally gifted her to lead. God supernaturally gifted her to prophesy or to preach. No matter that, we believe that she can't do it. And it's based on a superficial understanding of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 primarily. And so what I've done today is I've said this, and you know, again, you, you have the right to disagree with me, but I'm saying, does it at all disturb your cemented, anchored position that the words that I've explained to you, the fact that authentine is an unusual word that the Holy Spirit said, Paul used this word. 
And nowhere else in scripture did Paul use it except in this one verse that is the debated verse. And could it mean that what Paul was saying is this woman who is dominating and seizing authority and control needs to chill out, submit and be quiet and stop dominating that man. Cause that's what the Greek teaches. That's what the Greek teaches. And so here we are maybe because of this one verse saying that more than half the body of Christ women cannot operate in the gifts that God has given cannot preach. Even though he said at the end of the age, there will be an outpouring, which we are in right now. It began at Pentecost. We're still in it. At the end of the age, his daughters and his maidservants are going to preach, but we say, no, they aren't. I shudder at that every time I think about it. And so I think we have a flawed across the body of Christ, a flawed understanding of first Timothy two twelve, which people believe that it applies to all women and all men for all of time that women can't teach at all, can't have any authority in the church, can't lead, can't preach. And I believe there's crippling consequences for women and men in the church because of this, that the faulty understanding that no woman may ever teach any man does not take into consideration the broader biblical context that I've gone over in these podcasts. And it doesn't pause to do a intentional consideration of the original language of first Timothy two eleven and 12. So it was a little bit of a technical study today, but I hope it gets you thinking again. If you agree, disagree, um, have questions, email me at Jeff at Maverick misfit.com Jeff at Maverick misfit.com. And, uh, listen, this is a season for all of us to be growing in our faith. It's a uh, time to grow in the knowledge of scriptures. Um, you're not going to grow in your knowledge of scriptures by listening to a couple of sermons or a couple of podcasts every week. I want to encourage you to consider enrolling at the school that I help lead, the Bible College, Kineo Ministry Training Center, K-I-N-E-O. Go to KineoMTC.com, KineoMTC.com. Read there about how you can get your four-year degree, or if you just want to get some extra advancement in your studies, you can get a diploma. And if you really want to, you can just audit classes, but we have them online. Um, we have them on demand and we have them in person, not only at our main Dawsonville campus, but we have right now, I think 25 campuses across the United States. Um, I've got one here in my home church of uh, church at Winder in the Bethlehem, Georgia area. But we want to encourage all of you take advantage of a affordable and affordable Bible college training ministry preparation school. Um, it's, it's a word and spirit school. We rightly divide the word of truth and you're going to be helped. And if you have never gotten that, that education, that degree that you've always wanted, check out Caneo MTC and see if it might be the Holy Spirit leading you. So tune in next time. I probably have one, maybe two more, uh, podcasts on this topic, women in ministry. Would love to hear back from you. And I am out. Thanks for the extra time today. God bless. Much love from Bethlehem, Georgia. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you were helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.